This is Problem Solved, the IISE podcast, where we talk to industrial and systems engineers about their work, ideas, and solutions. Welcome to another edition of Problem Solved, the ISE podcast. I'm ISE's Michael Hughes, and we're here today with Director of Ergonomics for Michelin North America, Bobby Watts. She's a star in the ergonomics field and has basically been everywhere. Looking at her resume, she's at Michelin Now, she's been at Coke, Colorado Springs Utilities, UPS, Millican. She's even an affiliate faculty member at Auburn University. So, Bobby, the initial question I have is, well, all of these experiences, what have you learned by being open to moving to new places and going to new sites? Oh, that's a great. You start with a hard question. I thought I was going to get the easy ones first. <laughs> so, no, that's OK. I think it's just, you know, just being open to the opportunity to learn, you know, always going to a new location to a new company, you're going to learn something new. So I've been in, you mentioned the different companies, the different industries. It's just learning what they do and, and learning how I can apply what I know to help make their products, their services better. So it's just having that opportunity and being open to the opportunity of learning from them. So let's go back to Colorado Springs Utilities. And I'm kind of curious about that because I've never been to Colorado Springs. What was unique about being way out there in the Midwest, or actually that's, that's almost the far west, that you learned there? Oh, gosh, I learned that it snows and they still expect you to go to work. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that's an honest thing that I, I was there. I moved there in September or, yeah, it was close September, October time frame, And the winter came and it snowed and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I, I made it out there for a year. Uh, so I was only at Colorado Springs for Utilities for a year. I've learned a lot. Uh, a lot of had a lot of great friends, um, a lot of great colleagues out there. But just being in a different location, as you can tell from my accent, I am from the South. I'm from South Carolina. So it was completely different to live, not just visit or do an assignment, but to actually live in a, a location that's very far away. And again, it snowed. And now you're back home where when it snows, you don't have to go to work. In fact, we just kind of <laughs> we just kind of sit up our feet on the desk at home for about three or four days and wait for it to melt. Yeah, we, that's what we're used to. We understand what can happen. So I, I'm, I'm amongst my people. We know what to do. Exactly. We're glad to have you back home down south. Uh, you're an affiliate faculty member at Auburn. Uh, tell us non-academics what that means in the real world and what you do. Oh, if I'm being if really honest, is, is being there when we uh, when they need me. So if they ever need me to uh, teach a class, to do a seminar, um, just to be able to be available to teach as needed. And that works for me because it was a lot easier when I was living in Atlanta. I was a lot closer. Uh, So being a little bit further away, it's a lot more difficult. But it's one of those where if you can just time it right, you can be available for the uh, university to teach Mm -hmm. whatever they need in regards to ergonomics and human factors. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. Now, you, with your years of experience in education and knowledge, I first met you a couple of years ago at the Applied Ergonomics Conference in Atlanta. It seems that you already know everything. You know, you don't need the Applied Ergonomics <laughs> oh, Conference gosh. or ISC anymore, but you're still heavily involved. What do you get out of it? Oh, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just let you know, I do not know everything. <laughs> um, I probably just scratched the surface of the stuff that I know. I, the things you don't, I don't know is just shocking. And that's one of the reasons why I do go back. I love going 
you learn something new. Every time I go, I always come back with, uh, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So it's almost overwhelming the stuff that I come back mm-hmm. with. But I go in knowing that I don't know everything. And I advise my mentees to be humble enough to know that you're never going to know everything. So going in and learning something, learning about the future of Ergo, what's coming, talking with your network. So I have a lot of colleagues that I meet up with. And I'm like, mm-hmm. are you going to the conference this year? So I'm like, you know, making plans there. So it's one of those where you're always going to be open to learn. And I know that when I go there, I'm going to learn something new. That's great news for us here, putting that on every year. But could you give us an example of a takeaway, you know, take something last five, six, seven years, maybe one of your favorite takeaways from the conference and how you brought it back to wherever you were located in the world at that time and used it? Uh, gosh, I can't remember the speaker name. I'm sorry, I should have it. But they were. Um, he was talking about, I think it was Dr. Lee, talking about the future of Ergo, you know, artificial intelligence and, and really how Ergo is going to look in the future. And that's one of the things that I brought back in talking with my team. I work in the, um, we call it the EP Environmental Protection. It's our safety department. Mm-hmm. Talking about the new things that are out there, um, artificial intelligence, exoskeletons, virtual reality, and how we're focusing on digitalization here. So how are we really going to take advantage of that? And how's that going to make what our Ergo program look like today? How it's going to change and how do we need to prepare for that? So really taking back that keynote speech back to my team and say, okay, this is where we are. This is what's going on. This is what other companies are doing or and also what this is what's coming in the future. We need to get ready. That was a key point that I brought back um, last year. We're actually doing a lot of things. We're talking about some stuff that we're going to be moving forward with. And a lot of that came from what I learned from that conference. Yes. I mean, I noticed looking at the program for last year's conference, there were seven or eight or nine talks about exoskeletons. That's kind of something that, you know, excites me. Maybe when I get older, an exoskeleton will help me walk around <laughs> so I don't have to sit around in a nursing home. Have y'all started looking into using exoskeletons in any of the Michelin plants yet? Yeah, we've actually tested a few uh, with our facilities and with our activities. Um, it's different. So each facility can have something that they're focusing on. When I say focus, focus on upper body or um, just pure material handling. So our challenge has been just finding the right fit for the different activities that we mm-hmm. have. So we've been testing a few of them and we have plans to test others. Is uh, And again, that challenge is finding this exoskeleton is good for upper body, but will it be able to do with all the variety of the things that we do? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been testing that. I've actually been working with some companies to come and do webinars. I'm also part of the USTMA, uh, Tire Manufacturing Association. And one of the things we want to do is to share learnings. Um, so we were able to have Briatox, um, Briatex to come in and talk about exoskeletons. And so that other companies similar to ours, because if they learn, we can learn from them as well. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, it's interesting. Seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, when I first started writing about this stuff, ergonomics equipment was either casters or desks and office mm-hmm. equipment and moving, you know, carts and things like that. And now it's moving into where it looks like, you know, in the future, your workforce is going to be half human, half robot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's why I, I joke about that. It's, like, it's a Jeopardy question. If you go out to the public or the family few question, you go out there and ask them about Ergo, they're going to say, they might say casters or they might say Ergo keyboard. But learning all the different things that Ergo is involved in, um, what's coming, what, what we need to be prepared for, it really opens not just my eyes, but everybody's eyes in regards to what Ergo really is. It's more than just office Ergo, which is very important, but there's so much more to Ergo than just keyboards. 
You know, you sound really excited talking about your profession. <laughs> Why did you go into ergonomics? Why aren't you like working in a manufacturing or healthcare or services or any of the other umpteen gabillion industries and sectors that ISEs work in? Oh, gosh, I, I think I lucked up and I found my passion early. Uh, so I was very blessed in that. Um, so I started... I give you my. I won't give you my whole story, but I got interested in ergonomics and human factors uh, early in when I was at Clemson. So my, mm-hmm. I think it was either my senior or sophomore year. At that time, I was a civil mm-hmm. engineer, and I figured out, did some interns. I was like, I don't want to do that. Got interested in ergo by taking a human factors class, and from there, I really just got interested to understand that there's a profession out there where you can actually make things better, and it can impact people, and it can do all these different things. So. Knowing that I had an interest in human factors and ergo, I went into industrial engineering and it just kind of happened for me that as I was working in, I worked in manufacturing, uh, I worked in services and all the different industries. It just so happens when I found my niche uh, with ergo and human factors, I was just able to do that on a, a different plane, if you will, um, in, in with my passion. So I'm able to and work in those different areas of IE. Uh, is I just do it as an ergonomist. Now, you're an industrial engineer in ergonomics. A lot of people in ergonomics don't have ISE degrees. They have, they're like, you know, environmental health and safety officers. What additional knowledge or learning do you have from your ISE degree that you bring to the field that kind of adds oomph to what you do? I tell my mentees, that's one of the things I do is that you got to reach back and you got to teach others about the things that you learn. And what I learned about ergonomics, and you're right, uh, a lot of people are in ergo and they're not necessarily industrial engineers, but I do lean on that learning. I lean on um, that degree because I learned so much. Not to say that it makes me better than anybody else, but I bring more to the table when it comes to ergonomics. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And I recently read an article in the last um, ISC journal. uh, I think it was from Casey Spenzel, Mm -hmm. where she talked about the staying in power of the ISC career. And that article spoke to me because it really talks about the things that IEs bring to the table. And whether it's in ergonomics or business or what have you, we have a lot of things that we can add. Uh, One of the main things that we have as an IE is that we look at things from a system perspective. Mm-hmm. So we are trained to look at the big picture. And so as an ergonomist, you you almost have to have that. You can't just look at certain pieces of it. You need to know how things are going to impact the entire system. So with that mindset, that IE mindset, that's something that I bring to the table. And, and I let people know that ergo is <laughs> industrial engineering principle for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's engineering 101. And that's what ergo is. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, ISEs are noted for they're breaking down the silos between this system or this mm-hmm. department. And I guess for ergo, ergonomics, you've really got to be cognizant about if you apply something to the body here, how does it affect the body downstream there? How does it affect your workforce as a whole? Exactly what you just said. If we fix something, there was a shoulder issue, we do something, is it going to increase a risk factor down the road or is it going to improve or or, um, be a detriment to productivity or quality? So we have to look at everything. And so that's one of the things that I teach teams when we're talking about ergonomics is that, okay, we're going to focus, we're going to find out what the issue is, but we're going to come up with all these different solutions and we really need to analyze how these solutions are going to impact everything because it's not just impacting the risk factors, you're impacting productivity, quality, morale, all those different elements. 
everything. You've presented several times at the Applied Ergonomics Conference in the past. Do you have any plans for Louisville, Kentucky? Are you going to kind of take the year off and go there and learn or what's up with Bobby Watts next? Yeah, I am taking the year off from presenting um, this year. I did present the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, go- I'm planning to be a moderator. I didn't get a chance to do that last year. There's some things that I want to do. We do have a facility in Louisville, so we want to do some behind the scenes things there while we're at the conference. So I'm going to be focusing a lot on that. So unfortunately, I won't be um, doing a presentation, but it, it just gives me a lot more opportunity to see all the different presentations while I'm there. You're a trailblazer. You're an African-American female who's risen to be a corporate top dog at a major company. And I also heard you mention a couple of times during this interview that, that you have a lot of some mentees. You're involved in the mentor program, which is good. What kind of responsibility do you feel or what kind of challenges have you faced or what have you brought to the table from your experience that's just different from, say, somebody like me? I think it's one of those, it's a different perspective. It's um, diversity and inclusion is, is, is huge and it's huge for um, almost all the corporations out there, but it should also be the same when it comes to ergonomics and engineering, having those different perspectives. And when you're looking at STEM careers, whether it's IE or any other engineering um, discipline, women are underrepresented, um, female minorities are underrepresented. So having that representation matters because you want to be able to show others that, yes, you can do this as well. Well, especially talked about my mentees. Not only do I have mentees that were in college and just graduated or they're younger, they're ergonomists, but I also mentee or have mentees that are in grade school Mm -hmm. because I want to make sure they see that, you know, yes, you can be an engineer. You can be an industrial engineer. Uh, You can do this. You may not have heard about it, but now you hear about it. And it's something that as you grow up, you can put that on your docket to learn more about and possibly... um, be an industrial engineer. So I think it's more of that representation to show, you know, even though we're underrepresented, we're doing something about it and trying to bring them up with me. And, and it is possible. I mean, you've persevered and had a fantastic career. Um, you haven't dropped out. I know I've, I've written stories for the magazine and I was very happy to hear you mention that you read the magazine because I edited <laughs> that for nine years. And that was really cool. So hearing people read that is it's really nice. But you persevered. I've done those stories about how, you know, X number, X percentage of women and minorities go into engineering and STEM careers and then a lot of them drop out. Have you persevered and stayed in and instead of becoming one of the dropouts? It's, I think it's the support system, um, just having the right people around you. A lot of support at Clemson, you know, engineering in general is hard, uh, Mm -hmm. no matter who you are. So just having that great support system of people who are struggling along with you. So that was key. I think also um, going to Auburn University, the the professors there are just top notch. You have Dr. Thomas, Robert Thomas, Mm -hmm. Dr. Davis, Dr. Sesek, Dr. Gallagher. It's almost like a family there. So it's that support system. It helps you to keep going. So I got involved there and it was actually Dr. Thomas who uh, encouraged me to go get my master's and working with my mentor is Miranda Caldwell. Um, She's a UPS IE manager, but she was my ergo manager at UPS and she encouraged me to go back to get my master's. And once I was there, it was, oh, you should go back and get your PhD. And so that's one of the things that I try, I know, (laughs) that's one of the things I try to encourage uh, my mentees or anybody that I come in contact with is that you can do it. Don't stress out and think that you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. There, you're going to fail. There's going to be failures. It's okay. Everybody 
everybody feels. And I think that's it's a lot. Maybe that's something that different perspective that uh, I bring is that, you know, being a female minority, there's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. You got to be perfect. Um, but understanding it's OK to fail. So uh, to go back to your question, I think it was really having that good support system. And that, again, that's why that representation matters so that somebody feels comfortable to go back, reach out to that person and say, hey, I'm having these challenges. Do you think I can do it? What did you do? I mentioned my mentor, Miranda Caldwell. She's also African-American female. And so when oh, I wow. met her, I was shocked. I know. I was shocked. I'm like, you're... That was kind of like yeah, my people. It's like, hey, you can do yeah. it. There's an example for you to follow. And now you're being that kind of example for people who can follow you as and well. She was honestly the first um, CPE I ever met. Um, and so me getting, mm-hmm. you know, getting into ergonomics and to have this African-American female, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is something I really can do. So mm-hmm. uh, it just goes back to that representation and also that support system. You know, that representation probably is key because decades ago growing up, you know, we didn't necessarily see minorities in in a lot of the fields that we see them in now. Now we can look at them and say, well, look, you know, they're just like everybody else. Like we always do, you know, they can do it. And like you, you mentioned the pressure to be perfect, but also the possibility that nobody's perfect and everybody's going to fail somewhere. And, and you're kind of teaching them that the perfect doesn't have to be the enemy of the good. Uh, Yeah. And so when I do have these, and I go and talk to the kids in the high schools and in college, I tell them the, the, the horror stories I had not to scare them, but to let them know that, Hey, it's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, whether or not they go into engineering, don't feel like they have that pressure to be perfect, uh, that you have to have straight A's that you have to do this. It's okay to see that you can fail but also still succeed. Are you actually admitting that you might have gotten a B once or oh, twice? I've gotten, a, I've gotten lower. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten lower, yes. So no, no, I was not a straight A student. I, I will say once, you know, um, the grad levels, you know, because you're doing something that you love, right. then it becomes a little bit, I wouldn't say easier, but it's easier to handle because it's something you want to do. But yeah, those undergraduate courses. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a great day. By the time you get to your master's, you know, you're passionate about yeah. that. And if you're not interested in Sophocles and, you know, the Grecian Persian Wars, <laughs> you don't have to write papers about that. You can focus on what you're interested in, which is, you know, ergonomics and engineering. That, and that's, yeah. And that's, and again, that was one of the things that like finding my passion, I was so lucky in doing that is, is that when they said, hey, you should go back for your PhD, I was more concerned about, okay, how can I work the timing out? It wasn't that I looked at and as something daunting, right. it was, ooh, how can I make this work? Because I'm still working. I got my master's while I was working full time mm-hmm. and I was going to have to quit and go back to school. So it was a matter of just trying to figure out how to, the logistics of it. But it was never an issue of should I do it uh, or can I do it? I should rather. Now, what would you tell a student or a young professional who is mulling whether to continue, you know, coming to the Applied Ergonomics Conference and being involved with ISE membership and wondering whether it's worth it? What would you say to that person? I, I would say do it, especially if, if, if we separate them out, uh, do both of them, uh, especially the uh, Applied Ergo Conference. If you do nothing else as an ergonomist or you do nothing else as an IE who may have an interest in ergonomics and human factors, you should go to the Applied Ergo Conference. As I mentioned before, I always learn something new. A lot of people look at me, oh, you have a PhD. What more can you learn? You, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. That's kind of how I catch it. <laughs> it's amazing all the stuff that I don't know, but going to those conferences, uh, 
another key part of that is is working with or understanding what other companies are going through. No company is perfect. Mm-hmm. No company is going to have this perfect ergo program. There's always things to learn from it from other people. So being able to go and learn and see what other companies are doing, and especially a young person who is learning a lot of theory in school. And, and then when you go out and you try to go into the mm-hmm. real world and you don't know what to do from day one, that going to the Applied Ergo Conference is a great opportunity to just pull somebody to the side and say, look, I have this new job. I'm going to be starting in a couple of weeks. I have no idea what to do. They know what to do, but they don't know what to do on the first day, what they should do. So taking that opportunity to reach out to their network, to build their network, to uh, reach out to these seasoned ergonomists Mm -hmm. that I'm a part of and not being afraid to ask those simple questions because there's a lot of people who are voluntold to do ergo and don't know where to begin. So reaching out to your network to do that. Um, and staying involved if you're an IE, just staying involved with your membership. I still reach out. I have a network. Um, again, it's going back to that network piece. Mm-hmm. And if I uh, if I have a question, I have a network that I can reach out to. I can look through the journals. I can look through. There's a lot of resources that I have available. So there's a lot of benefit there. And uh, when I go to reach out to our progress engineers or our IEs um, here at Michelin, I talk to them. I'm still an IE. I'm still a member. I still pay my dues. So I'm still part of you, right. uh, even though we work in two different departments. So it kind of helps bridge that gap if you're working in a different department from the IEs. And a lot of IEs, they are kind of lone wolves in their program or in their company or in their sector, and they don't have a network of IEs around them. How It sounds like that network has really been important to you as you've uh, continued throughout your career. It has. As you mentioned in the beginning, uh, my career has been all over the place. But all over the place, you're going to run into IEs, whether it's a manager who was an IE or your colleague who's new to the profession. So just having building that network and keeping in contact with that network is key. That was one of the um, the benefits of me working all, at all these different places. I still have contacts at every single one of those places, all the way from my first job um, at Millican. I, so I know I can reach out. And it just so happens because I was in the IE profession, a lot of them are IEs. Uh, so having that network to reach out and say, hey, I have a question or somebody has a, a, a question or they have a colleague who's interested in a position they saw online. Can you, you know, hook me up with somebody I can talk to? So just having that network to reach out to is still going to be very key for anything that you do as an, as an IE. So you use that network, you know, not only for support for whatever job you're doing, but also to find out about the next job down the road <laughs> and whether that's something that Bobby uh, Watts would, would really like to do or you know, get some information from this person and find out, you know, this standing on I-85 really isn't up my alley. I should do something different instead. That has helped in the past, um, especially when I was looking at other positions when I was younger, i.e. being able to have that network to, to know your name. And so if anything came available that they thought that you would be a good fit for, your name was on their mind so that if they are talking to somebody, they can present you as a potential option. Yeah, networking is good. If you have questions, it's also good. If, if there are opportunities, you want 
people to know who you are uh, and know what you can do so that if anything comes up, you could be a potential person that they can share with their colleague. Sounds great. Bobby, this has been a fascinating interview, but I do have one more question. You mentioned a uh-huh. verb earlier. A few more <laughs> questions go. Voluntold. Oh, I have never heard that verb and an interested in exploring it in the context of industrial engineering and ergonomics. Oh, I, we see it a lot in ergonomics. Um, uh, I actually, I was reaching out or people at the conference was reaching out to me and they told me they were voluntold uh, to be the ergo leader at their mm-hmm. company or the, at their facility. And those are people who are not necessarily ergonomists, but they know that they have to fill that role. So they'll give it to somebody who's either in safety or HR or what have you. And so they were quote unquote, voluntold as, as a volunteer to do it. Okay. Uh, and so those people are the ones that, okay, I know I have to do this. I don't know where to begin. Uh, and, and so for those people, I do, if I run into them, I'd say applied ergo conference is one of the first things you want to get on your list. You want to go there. But yeah, also we see that with employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we start employee um, teams, a lot of times employees don't want to be there, whether it is for Ergo or for any other committee, they're usually voluntold to be there. And so our challenge is to overcome that so that, you know, they want to be there. So yeah, voluntold is a common occurrence within ergonomics. I guess that's why so many of the ergonomists that I've interviewed over the last 10 years have talked to me about trying to do things to make ergonomics fun, interesting, and challenging. Because if you don't, the people you're trying to help are going to turn you out because they are often, as you just explained, voluntold to be there. I have a few ambitions in life when it comes, or my ergo life. Um, one of them is to share the gospel of ergo, and that's in working with leaders and, and that group, but also to share the gospel of how fun ergonomics can be. No offense to all the other engineering disciplines and no offense to the other um, disciplines within IE, mm-hmm. but ergonomics and human factors is probably the most fun you're ever going to do within engineering. Every day is like Shark Tank to me. Um, and you're familiar with Shark Tank, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, just to be able to watch how people come up with ideas. And it's like, oh, why didn't I think of that? So when I'm working with employee teams or engineers, we're constantly coming up with, oh my gosh, why didn't we think of this earlier? It, and it's so much fun to go through that and to see the light bulb that kind of pops up in somebody's head when they get it. And once you once that light bulb comes on, you have won them. So they are now ergo for the rest of their lives. And so just showing them that it can be fun. There's a lot of complexities to it, but we got to pull out the fun parts of it. And, and that's one way that we do it. We look at it from a Shark Tank perspective. Well, this has been an excellent interview. Uh, we're talking with Bob. Bobby Watts, who sounds like an ergonomics evangelist, not just a director of ergonomics in Michelin, North America. Bobby, thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. This has been an episode of Problem Solved, the IISE podcast. If you like what you've heard, then please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you're an IISE member, you can participate in discussions about this and other episodes at connect.iise.org. If you're not a member yet, then you can learn all about the Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers at our website, iise.org. Thanks for listening to our show. 